And I think from that moment on, I didn't look for confirmation that it was okay for what I was doing. There was a kind of, uh, you know, a light switch that just went, okay, I'm going to do this because I love it rather than waiting for someone to pat me on the back. Welcome to the Future Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Doe, and I'm joined, as always, with the ever-dependable Greg Gunn. Greg, what's up? Hey, I've, I've gone from trusty to dependable. I, they're I like, similar, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like this path we're on, though. This, this makes me feel good. Okay. So who do we have on the podcast today? Well, we have world-famous, internationally renowned interior designer Kelly Hoppen. She's a member of the British Empire. That sounds incredible. Yeah. She's South African, but now resides in the UK. Oh, okay. And that's where she calls home. And it was really wonderful to talk to her because at a very young age, she figured out that she wasn't good with school. She was dyslexic and they didn't know what that was back then. And she just fell in love with interior design. Somehow she was able to convince her friend's parents that she could design their kitchen for them. And that was the beginning of her interior design career. Wow, that's <laughs> that's really interesting. You know, we don't we don't meet a lot of interior designers. At least I don't. Um, so, uh, how, what was it like talking with someone who's outside of our sort of graphic design sphere? Well, this you may not know about me, Greg, but at some point in my life, I thought I was going to be an interior designer or an architect. So, I have a deep fascination and passion for interior design. While I was growing up in San Jose, and I didn't have a lot of exposure to art, but what I did have was magazines. And I would thumb through the magazines like GQ and Sunset Magazine, you know, the California Lifestyle Magazine. And I would look at these beautifully designed interior homes, the layout, the the lighting and the, the molding they had on the wall. I didn't know what that was called, but I looked at our walls and our walls were like white uh, drywall. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, how is it that their walls look like that? And I started to imagine these worlds and places. So I've been I feel like I've always had this connection to interior design and architecture. So much so that when we went to design our first space, the architect had said to me, you must be a frustrated architect. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. I just smiled like, what, what do you mean I'm a frustrated architect? And for those of you guys that don't know that expression, it just means that I wanted to be an architect and I couldn't. So I'm a graphic designer. Mm. And so I'm trying to control the process a little bit <laughs> where I want to express my creativity there. Wow, that's so interesting. I, I did not know that about you. And you know, you want to hear something funny? So yeah. when I was a little kid, I, I loved to draw and I was trying to decide what to be when I when I grew up. And on the one hand, I wanted to be an architect too, oh. which is interesting. Yeah. Can you guess what the other thing was? An animator? No, a garbage man. <laughs> Why a garbage man? The, the trucks were really cool. I, yes. They looked like transformers and I was really into transformers. There's something about heavy machinery that are, that draws boys to them, right? Yeah. I don't know what yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Kelly Hoppen. My name is Kelly Hoppen. I am an author, an interior designer, a product designer, and a mother and a grandmother. 
it was one of my dreams as a child to be an interior designer. I never pursued that. So I'm a big fan of yours. I have some of your books here. I'm a graphic designer. I make commercials for a living and now I do content. So I'm really fascinated by how you got into interior design. And if there were earlier signs in 16 years old, if you can call back uh, like a memory or a vignette, something that was very impressionable in your life that sparked this interest in interior design. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I came from an incredibly um, artistic background. In, in other words, my mother was in the arts. My father was in fashion. My parents used to drag us around museums all over the world, you know, we without, dragged our feet. But, you know, I look back on it now and it was such an amazing thing. But I was absolutely obsessed from a very, very young age, my mother says, in terms of homes. And, you know, when I was growing up, instead of wanting to go and play with friends at school, uh, you know, on weekends, I'd ask my mother to go and look at show houses. And I was always intrigued to, to, to read magazines and look at before and after. And at the age of 13, I asked my mother if I could redo my bedroom, which was all pink and flowery. And I ended up, as I can still see it in my head now, I had brown felt walls trimmed in chrome trim, white shag pile carpet, chrome sort of really kind of eclectic chair, louvered windows. I mean, at the age of 13, I kind of conjured up. I'm not saying it was it was nicely done. <laughs> it, it sounds wonderful. From a flowery kind of, you know, girl's bedroom. And my mum said every time she would go out for dinner, she'd come back and I would have moved furniture around. And, and I was all, always organizing surfaces. And my great aunt had a beautiful home in the next street from where we lived. And I used to go around pretty much every afternoon and just admire things. I could, I could still literally paint every detail of that house. So I had a photographic memory. I was very dyslexic, very badly bullied at school. So I was in my own kind of world. And I was also obsessed with pop-up books and all the perspective. So I think in answer to your question, from an early age, I knew exactly what I wow. wanted to do, know what the name was until I was a lot older, that I wanted to become a designer. And I was never frightened of becoming that. And I was never frightened of starting a business, you know, like I'm going to do it. Mm. And I think because I'm a lot older than a lot of young designers today, I we didn't have social media. We didn't have Instagram, Google. So everything was in your imagination. So travel, theater, music, um, um, shopping, cafes, you know, things that you experienced is how I created my, my design and my imagery. And if I could switch off everyone's phones for a day and just tell people to be creative, it would be so interesting to see how much more creative people could be and how much more positive people could be. So I think in a way, I'm so glad that I came from that era because I can still, you know, look at something and imagine something from it rather than looking at someone else's imagery and trying to copy it or change it. Hmm. I, I think you're talking about something that's very uh, of, of the moment right now, how we're overstimulated and how we're constantly comparing ourselves and that starts to erode our own self-confidence. And you sound like a person who's who's supremely confident. And I'm just wondering, where does that internal strength come from? Is it just who you were made to be, your parents? Uh, where does that come from? Well, there was a long road to get to that confidence. So, you know, I do a lot of mentoring with, with, with people today on my Instagram because 
I wasn't confident at school. I was very, very miserable because I was bullied. Um, I'm much, I'm older and wiser now. So with, with age comes <laughs> with the greatest things in, in, in the world. Um, I'm not fearful anymore. So I think through um, some heartache with my father dying at a very early age and kind of creating a wall around myself, I, I threw myself into creativity. So that was like my haven. And through that and through experience, um, I have become more confident. And when I decided to share my knowledge with the world, and I, i.e. writing books, that's kind of how I got my confidence because it gave me a lot of joy to be able to share. And I guess the more social media sort of came into my life, I realized that by giving back and by talking to people, and it, I don't know, I've just kind of grown to become more confident. But it, it took a long time. If you look back now, could you pinpoint like an age or a moment in your life when you felt like you have arrived and you found that internal strength? When I wrote my first book, East Meets West, and it did so well, and then I won the Andrew Martin Designer of the Year Award, I think that was the moment that I realized that I guess I, I needed somebody to sort of go, you're okay in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think from that moment on, I didn't look to um, get, um, I didn't look for confirmation that it was okay for what I was doing. There was a kind of, uh, you know, a light switch that just went, okay, I'm going to do this because I love it rather than waiting for someone to pat me on the back. Mm -hmm. And so when Conran asked to do this book, and it was very much my passion, the whole East meets West and everything else. And it became a bestseller. I think that gave me the confidence to really kind of excel. It must have been that you were already really quite successful for, for Conran to do the book deal with you at that point, right? Well, I guess so. I never, you know, the thing is, I've never gauged my success in that way. I've mm -hmm. never worked for money, although I've earned money. I've worked because... I'm passionate and it's something that I try and teach people. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the press, like newspapers and magazines, had seen my work um, and from word of mouth from clients. And so I had had a lot of press at that point. And it was different what I was doing. East Meets West was not really brought to the table in that way. And so it was a new design sensibility and I think when something new comes to the table um, and I was very adamant about the colors and the, the sort of harmony and the neutral palette and how I wanted to work on sort of balance and and my my term of luxury it was something people wanted to write about and so yes when when they asked to do the book I was over the moon I you know I was like wow this is fabulous when you found your calling, your your love and passion for interior design, you listened to that voice, and so many of us ignore that. We yeah. we we're, we kind of like, no, that can't be. I'm I'm not good enough, and it's we're filled with self doubt. Could you give us some insight or advice into how you process that? How you know this is right for you? Well, let me fast forward it for every listener okay. that's going to this. Okay, mm -hmm. this is the same way as when. You see someone like your child going into a relationship and you can see where, what the outcome is. You want to say to them, let me fast forward. 
break up now because in six months this is what's going to happen. Unfortunately, we all have to go through the experience <laughs> and you're never going to listen. So here's the thing. I think instinct and the gut in your stomach is a reality. Deepak Chopra says it's an actual physical thing that happens to you. When you feel that you have something that you're so passionate about, you have to go with it. It might not always work, but you have to give it a go. And today, more than ever before, startup and new businesses are popping up every second in the world because it's possible. Because starting a business doesn't need money. It needs passion. It needs tenacity. It needs authenticity. It needs um, communication. You have to follow your dreams because if you're happy and you're passionate about what you do, I believe it's possible. So don't ignore those feelings. And by the way, they don't always work. So if they don't, you move on to the next. Don't harp on the fact that it didn't work. A true entrepreneur moves on already to something else. It's, it's not an issue. I love that. Thank you. Second question is about going to school and how you learned to do what you did. I understand that you designed a friend's uh, uh, parents' kitchen at 16 and it was at the launch of your career. Did you go to school? Did you study this professionally or is this just you self-taught? I went to school and I hated it and I was useless at it because I was dyslexic, but I didn't know I was dyslexic until my daughter was diagnosed. But uh, I was 16 and a half. My stepfather had a friend who wanted a kitchen done. It was a disaster, but I still did it. And then I left school because my father died. And I was then asked through another friend to help with a, a, a very big house for a racing driver. And in the end, I was given the job because, in fact, she just wanted to be with the racing driver. And it was sort of like a bit of a, a, a smoke, you know, a smoke and mirrors to kind of be with him. <laughs> so I ended up doing the project. And I literally somehow, don't know how, I found Bob the Builder. And it's true, his name is Bob. <laughs> My my driver in Bob the Builder's um, business was, was Damien, the racing driver, Damien Hunt, who I still today laugh about it. Um, and I started a business. And that was the first job that I did. The second job was a proper job. And from there, it was word of mouth. And I did a lot of racing drivers and actors' homes. And that's kind of how the business started. Wow. What an incredible start. So you dropped out of school in your 20s and then you start your business? Yeah, no, I was 16 and a half when I left school. Oh, that kind of school. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were like going to like college. and Okay, wow. No, I was self-taught in mm -hmm. every way. Incredible. Where do you call home right now? London. And you were South African, right? I was born in South Africa, left when I was two, mm -hmm. but my um, father was British and I've lived in London all my life. I'm British, so mm. uh, I'm very much British, yeah. The, the reason why I ask this is uh, trying to tie a theme into this thing about interior design, like where you live is your home and you could live anywhere. You're a super successful, celebrated designer. Why do you choose to live in, in London? Is Because you can live anywhere. I'm, I'm always curious about why people choose where they live. My daughter, my grandson, my stepchildren, my business is here. And I love I love London. I love to travel mm -hmm. and we travel a lot. But I always I love leaving, but I, I love coming home more, if that makes sense. Mm, it does make sense. And I've seen the tour of your home. There's a good reason why you love coming home. <laughs> and and do you get into this thing where where you go and you experience different places and hotels and 
and and where you stay, do you often feel like, you know, home is like the best place to be? Yeah, I mean, home is the best place to be. And I think that's why I'm successful, because I create homes for people. But I love going to hotels and um, I love traveling. I choose the hotels I want to stay in. And sometimes I don't have a choice. And then when I get to the hotel, I probably move rooms about four times. And then <laughs> I move really? around <laughs> in the room. I think how lucky are they because they're not having to pay me to do it. <laughs> but I'm very sensitive to the spaces that I'm in. And mm-hmm. my, my partner always laughs. He says, I'll wait in the lobby until you've decided where we're going to sleep tonight. You know? <laughs> okay, so what do hotels get wrong? Like, why are you moving things around? What are you sensing in that room? Well, first of all, if you, if you think about the sheer basics of a hotel room, people's energy is changing the whole time in these rooms. And... So for me, uh, you get a sense of a hotel room. But I think because today you can choose the type of hotel you want to stay in because you can use social media to look it up. But we do a lot of hotel design now and we try and think of every single possible nook and cranny in the hotel to give people the experience that they want. And um, there are some amazing hotels out there today, you know, like travel is just one of the greatest luxuries on this earth and it's all about experiencing something new and i think that's why people travel and go to different types of hotels because they experience something different but then when they get home they know this is where their heart is Mm -hmm. and when you travel are you constantly documenting taking pictures and taking notes like little things that you like or do you do it differently but i have a a real photographic Mm. in so Mm -hmm. everything Logged, but yeah, I use my phone to take images. I, you know, whether it's anything from a belt buckle to a light switch to a detail, it's more about details that I'm into. But it's it's everything. For me, travel is more about the experience, the smell, the culture, the people, uh, the music, um, the difference. I don't know. Everything about travel is exciting, and I almost bottle that. And then put it in my heart. And then when I come back, I think, oh, I remember that feeling I had. Now, how can I recreate that in a chair or an interior or something? You know, I, I, I design to mute with music. I have to be in a sort of trance with music to design. So if I ever go to the theater or the opera, I don't actually, I'm not actually looking at it. I'm lost in the music. And I can design a whole house while listening to a concert it's very weird i have a very weird brain that's you have an incredible brain wow we're going to take a quick break but we'll be right back Greg Gunn from The Future here. That's right, it's me again. Now, The Future's mission is to teach 1 billion creatives how to make money doing what they love without feeling gross about it. Now, maybe you're in school, but you feel like you're not getting what you need. Or maybe you're like me and sold all of your internal organs to pay for private art school tuition. But you know, it's been a while and you wanna sharpen up some of those skills. Well, fortunately for you, we have a bunch of courses and products designed specifically to help you become a smarter and more versatile creative. Design courses like typography, logo design, and color for creatives go deep into the design fundamentals that you need to know and command 
in order to be successful. Check out all of our courses and products about learning design by visiting thefuture.com slash design. Welcome back to our conversation with Kelly Hoppin. Okay, so I, I imagine you being very well-traveled. You've seen it all. I mean, not all, but you've been to many places. Where Where is like your favorite place to be? And can you transport us there and describe? Because you have such a vivid recollection. Transport us there. Like, where do you love to be other than being at home? Um, well, every place is different. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I every year I go to the Caribbean to a friend's home and do a very intensive boot camp for a week on my own with her, where I switch off all computers, telephones, train five hours a day. I'm in nature. That is an experience that I love because it kind of reconnects me. But equally, you know, if I'm climbing a mountain in Bhutan, which I did once, that was one of the greatest experiences of of my life because it was a culture I'd never experienced. It was feelings. It was my breath was shorter because of the altitude. I met amazing Buddhist monks. Um, you know, so it, it doesn't matter. Even flying on a new airline and the experience of that can be exceptional. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think you have to open your eyes and experience things and just be grateful that you, you know, you're healthy and, and your family's healthy and, Pretty much anything after that is extra. Mm. On this theme of health, I, I noticed on your Instagram feed, you are incredibly fit. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm like looking at your shoulders, your delts, and wow. Okay, so talk to me about what, what health and fitness. You talked about a, a five-hour workout. I've never – I'm younger than you. I've never worked for five, worked out for five hours. This is incredible. On this boot camp thing, but – Every day I do an hour, an hour and a half. It's my meditation. I feel better for it. I like to be fit. I've been doing exercise since I was 17. It's part of my life and it works for me, but it's it's such a mental thing. It gets me totally prepared for the day. The days that I don't do it, when I have a lazy day, I never feel as good. So that's it's my routine. You know, I'm I'm up at six, I train at seven. Um, I'm very much a person that likes a routine. It suits me. Um, even when I'm on holiday, I still wake up early. I can't help. I like to be the first up. I like to see the sun early. I like to, I just, my grandfather always used to say, you get more done before anybody wakes up in the day than any other time of the day. And he's, and it's true. So are you also like early to bed or do you Burn it on both ends, like where you're up early and, and no, up late too. I used to burn at both ends when I was younger, but now mm-hmm. I feel so kind of settled with my life. You know, we're we're very boring so many nights in the week. We're, we're with a good <laughs> box set. Uh, you know, I can't wait to get home tonight. I'm going to watch the Studio 54 movie and have mm-hmm. supper on my lap and and snuggle in bed and go to sleep. Yeah, but I, you know, I do still party. Don't get me wrong, but not <laughs> not on a school night. <laughs> Okay, I, I imagine young people having a hard time keeping up with you. Regardless, <laughs> you you talk about this kind of, this photographic memory and how you could see rooms before anything happens. I think on that tour, which I watched on YouTube, where you just you described the place before anything was there and it was bare yeah. or it was busted. 
I, I'm, I'm curious, when you do it for yourself, that seems like a gift. And when you work with clients uh, and high profile clients at that, do you ever have issues or challenges around sharing what's here with them? Or do you just have this carte blanche where Kelly Hoppin gets to do whatever she wants? Well, no, because, you know, today um, you can do CGI's and you can we draw it up. We present it so they can see it because in you know, the very first time I went to New York and I did a presentation and I was saying, oh, yeah, and then it's going to be like this. And then you're going to have this tall leather wall and you're going to. And I remember the client looking at me and going, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. And it was that moment that I realized what I see in my head, other people can't. So now, obviously, I've got a team of people that can put on paper what I'm seeing in my head and we can draw it up. So Today, luckily, through technology, you can present exactly what you see in your head. But in a funny sort of way, the bit I love the best is when it's secret and it's still in my head and Mm -hmm. I'm putting it all down because that's a really quiet time. That's a a moment that you can really be creative. And, you know, I'll come back to it the next day and move it and change it and see it. And then I'll be imagining it, you know, when I'm at home and I can move things around in my head, in in my imagination. So by the time I actually see it on paper, it's reality in a way. And that, I like the process. I like the process of design. But it's it's a quiet time. You just have music and you just create. It's like a journalist writing or a musician creating music. It's the same part of the brain that works. Mm. So for you, I'm just trying to get into your creative process. Is it super crystal clear here and the challenge is just to articulate it in a form that other people can see? Or exactly. does one influence the other? No, it's exactly like you say. Okay. And I'm, I'm curious about your team. Uh, can you give us a high-level overview of how you work with them? Uh, how does Kelly Hoppin go from here, what's in your head, to finished uh, paint so- on the wall? Up on in the design studio now is a project I've been working on this week. So I start laying stuff out. I start working with the architects, sketching things, putting it all down, um, putting all the fabrics, the you know, everything. And then we do these concept boards. And even when the concept boards are put together, I change them because I want to have them differently. Because I try and imagine how a client's going to look at it. It has to read right. Mm. Um, so I'm already walking through the space. So the way it's put down on paper is very important. Otherwise, it becomes confusing to the client. And so then all my different teams will start putting it all together. So we, we put it on floor plan. We do CADs. We um, do all the fabric boards. We do all the imagery boards, the concept boards, before we even go to the next stage. So it's, it's really in, it's very um, uh an extensive presentation that we do. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds to me like there's the design part of it. And then there's the storytelling aspect and how you're talking about creating something for the client. Yeah. So you're, you're basically, it's not about selling it. It's about, it's about talking to them about Mm. this is the backdrop to your life. Or if it's a hotel, this is the backdrop to thousands of people's lives. And then there's all the practicalities and all the other things that are obviously, you know, a given. But everything in life is about experience from start to finish. That's all people want to spend their money on. Mm. And we do is magic it. We create it. (laughs) Is there a moment where the client uh, 
sees the design, falls in love, and then somewhere along the way, as clients are often to, sometimes do, where they they change their mind and it just kind of wrecks the process. And how do you oh, deal with that? People change their minds all the time, mm-hmm. but fortunately, the older I get, I don't. I have no apprehension about saying you're wrong you have to trust me with this this has got to be the way because if you do it this way i'll show you what it'll look like and you've just got to talk to people and they have to trust you it's a bit like going to the dentist or the doctor you know at some point you have to give your trust to them but i think as long as you can be clear and explain to people why and give them good reason nine times out of 10 people will trust you. In the early days, you know, 40 years ago, it was much more difficult. Sometimes you had to suck eggs to, to do what they wanted. But right. Luckily now, um, my reputation is that I can, I can have people trust me. And, and that's a great thing that I've, I've managed to achieve over the years. And we're very authentic and we would never do something that wouldn't work. Um, but, you know, you're, when you're doing private homes, you're dealing with people's lives. It's it's very sensitive. So a lot of thought has to go into it. And if a client says, honestly, I, I really don't want that. I would rather have this. At the end of the day, we'll do it. Nine times out of 10, they'll come back and go, oops, you were right. Could you change it? And we go, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is fascinating. Can you share? Because uh, this is what a lot of young people suffer with in terms of dealing with clients uh, because they have no power. They have no authority. And, and you, you went through the same process. I went through the same process where you kind of cave more. And then as your confidence, your reputation, your expertise builds over time, you learn how to deal with that. So, But you have power. You do. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have the confidence. You have to believe what you're doing is right. But it's all about conversation. You can't, you can't have people accept something unless you explain it to them. You have to be able to show them. And the more you can show them and the more you can get them to experience what you're trying to do, because if you don't do that, they'll never understand what you're trying to achieve. Because most people think they want to live a certain way. My magic is that I'm able to get into people's head and create what I know they want. And half half the time, they don't know they want it until they see it. Can you share with us an example, a story where that happened, something a little specific where the client insisted on something and how you actually talked them through it, got in their head, shared a vision. And at this time of the day, I mean, a million things. I just remember when I did Joe Malone's home, mm-hmm. um, when she walked in, she said, I didn't know I wanted this, but I wanted it. And you found it, you know, it's wow. like cracked out of people. I just have this ability to know what people want, but then you, because they don't know they want it, but they do want it, you've got to then explain why they wanted it. Uh, that's a very confusing way of saying it, but it makes sense in my head. Mm-hmm. It, um, you know, it's like a stylist can look and see that you would look better in a different type of pair of jeans than you would always wear. And the minute they put you in it and they explain why and they look at your body, you suddenly go, wow, why didn't I think of that? Because they have the experience. They know how to look at your shape and tell you what you should be wearing. We look at someone's home. We ask all the questions about how they live in it or what the client wants in a hotel. And we take all of that in consideration. And then we design with that information. It sounds to me like you know the client better than they know themselves, like a therapist or like you said, uh, like in this case, you showed them something that they didn't know they wanted. And so that 
I think speaks a lot about how you. I use, have a therapist. Yeah, you're you're using intuition. I need a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's therapeutic what you're doing, right? Yeah, to a point. <laughs> no, oh. but I've been a therapist for many years, mm-hmm. and uh, I've also been somebody that uh, you know works with clients who don't want the same thing, so that you finally give them a way that they can communicate between each other because it's, you know, it's a very difficult thing to create someone's home for two people. You mentioned before that you found your confidence in publishing the book East Meets West. Was there another marker, another signal in your brain where you felt like in in your quiet moments when you're meditating, like, Kelly Hoppin, you've made it. You've made it, girl. You've, you're, you're, this is, this is what we've worked for. Mm, No, because you just keep going there mm. you know there were markers in my career that stood out when i got my mbe from the queen that was a real like huge pat on my back where mm-hmm. i was like okay maybe i am okay you know but not every day do i wake up and think oh uh, yeah i've done it i think every you know we, we we've got some amazing collaborations and collections coming out later this year in Shanghai and when people see them I could say those were big markers in my life um I'm constantly filled with joy at creations that I do but not in a kind of self-patting on the back way just like it still fills me with a lot of joy to be creative and I've always said as long as that still happens I'll continue doing what I'm doing but I also love the business side of it I love the writing of books. I like doing the TV shows. I, you know, I like, I, I, I like to do lots of different things so that I'm constantly on my toes. So my motto is nothing's too big, but nothing's ever big enough. Okay. I love that. That's a great way to end the show. Kelly, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate your time. I, I think even though it was fairly short, it was super impactful and just full of bits. I think my audience is going to eat this up. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. This is Kelly Hoppen, and you are listening to the future. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you're new to the future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find way more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and tools covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Christo and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was edited and mixed by Stuart Schuster with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by giving us a rating and a comment on iTunes. It's a big help in getting the future message out there and it makes us feel good too. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.
Thank you.